is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a time But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. And welcome back to the Batuta Advocate podcast. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and today... The co-host is, uh, in fact, not Errol Parker, editor-at-large. He's off chasing a uh, story downtown, Triple C inquiry into uh, Batuta's mayor, Keith Carton. Once again, he's been caught with his snout in the trough, uh, which seems to be the case at all levels of government. Uh, this country is riddled with corruption, and we'll be talking about that in today's interview. I'm joined, of course, by Wendell Hussey, former cadet turned uh, newsreader, turned uh, sports reporter, turned lifestyle journalist at the Batuta Advocate. He will be joining me here today as we interview a returning guest to the Batuta Advocate podcast. He's come on before in a very different capacity. That time he was representing Australia in rugby union. This time he is um, getting everything in order to represent Australia in Canberra in uh, federal politics, which is why he is on today's episode of Decode. David Pocock, thank you for joining us. Clancy and Wendell, thanks for having me. Now, mate, um, what have you been doing since we last spoke? Last time we spoke, you actually came into the office and you gave us all a bag of biltong. Is that what it's called? The mm, barbell biltong, was barbell it? Barbell biltong. Yeah, barbell biltong. It's good stuff. Lasted about a day. I it think, lasted about a day and um, kept us all regular. But that was, in my opinion, your most physical peak. It looked like you were carved out of ice at that point. Still playing for it's the all Wallabies. From there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Was about to win us a World Cup, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was all happening. That wouldn't have been more than two years ago you were in here. So so things have changed in your life and in Australia that has allowed uh, or has led you to where we are now, which is David Pocock, independent candidate for the ACT Senate at the 2022 federal election. What has happened here, mate? I mean, doesn't the last two years just, I don't know, it feels like a decade. We've all g- gone through a lot. You know, to varying degrees around the country, and uh, everyone's just been hanging in there. I guess for me, I finished playing rugby pretty much at the start of COVID. I was up in Japan the season. You know, no one really knew what COVID was or what was going to happen. And uh, after a few delays, they decided to to can the season, and that was that was kind of it for me. So pretty weird ending. I'd really enjoyed myself in in rugby. I'd, it was what I wanted to do since I was a kid. Felt like I'd made the most of the opportunity, and it was time to. Yeah, move on to other things and got stuck into some conservation stuff I was working on in Zimbabwe uh, and actually managed to spend most of last year there just cracking on with it on the ground, which in itself was a weird thing, kind of seeing Australia in lockdown. But, you know, over there, the government said they were in lockdown, but everyone was kind of just cracking on with whatever they could do. And then kept getting hassled by people in, in the community here in Canberra. You always had plans to come back. After your conservation oh, project, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the project, I I'd kind of been working on it for a, a number of years while I was playing rugby, and just wanted to, to see it up and running, uh, and then be able to hand it over. But 
kept getting contacted by people in Canberra saying, listen, there's a viable pathway here in the Senate for an independent. Would you consider it? And, you know, to be honest, didn't give it a lot of thought. I always thought that I'd be able to do more outside of politics. Mm -hmm. And then actually went up to COP26 in, in Glasgow. What was that? November last year. For the project I was working on in Zimbabwe, we were talking to a couple of potential partners on carbon uh, and some conservation partners. And just seeing the way, I mean, Australia was really the laughing stock at this conference. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we handed ourselves pretty well, you know, endeared ourselves in the international community. It was great having our former (laughs) prime minister publicly ridiculing our current one on uh, French television. Yeah, I mean, there was just this sense from... You know, not only the international community, who we've kind of known we've been out of step on climate for a while, but from our closest trading partners just saying, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, (laughs) climate action aside in terms of changing climate, all that kind of stuff, but just the economic opportunity. You guys are missing out. Like Australia is in prime position to actually become the superpower of the future by... Not only you know producing a whole bunch of renewable energy, but actually showing how it can be done, and then exporting that mm-hmm. know-how and tech around the world. And I guess that was a big, a big push for me, saying, "Well, if, if people in the community ask me to do this, I really believe in our democracy. I think it can be better when you love a place." And I've been so grateful for the opportunity Australia has given me. Mm-hmm. I want to see it do better, so I'm all in. I've jumped into it. It's been a hell of a ride already. But I'm really enjoying just getting out there, talking to Canberrans, seeing what's important to them, what they love, what they hate, what they want to see done differently. And based on that, we're about to start rolling out sort of policy positions and what we think we can realistically get done should I be an independent in the Senate. Before we get into the policy, I just wanted to ask you, you were saying that people were hassling you, asking you to get involved. What kind of people? Do we have people from the Labor Party and the Liberal Party saying this is an opportunity here, maybe we should reach out to David? Or was it kind of more individuals going, this is an opportunity for you as an independent senator and pushing that? Who are the people that were trying to get you going? Yeah, more just everyday Australians. You know, sick of how things are being done and, and, and wanted to see Mm-hmm. I don't know, a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've heard rumours over the years that I was going to join pretty much all the parties, but <laughs> I had certainly never given it a second thought. Well, yep. Clive Palmer was pushing for a former teammate of yours, Israel Folau, to make a run for the Senate up there in Queensland. He didn't reach out? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Mate, Izzy's in Tonga. <laughs> David, I want to ask, a big platform you're running on, you said you're yet to announce a lot of policy positions, but one thing you've been speaking about even since before you announced this is corruption and integrity. I'm interested in your perspective here as someone who has spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe and South Africa, countries that would be you know, traditionally considered corrupt in many different levels of government. And then for whatever reason, countries like Argentina and Australia don't ever seem to be viewed as corrupt, even though we know they are. And you know, the third world gets a bad rap for this. And, uh, you know, Australia is the developed world. No one ever seems to really think about it. And no one overseas would look at Australia as like, wow, look at that corrupt banana republic. But it's starting to look a little bit like that in, uh, you know, and we've seen it in both major parties. What is your opinion on the state, as particularly someone who lives in Canberra who gets to see these, you know, swamp things walking around with full pockets? What is your take on it all? Having seen, you know, both Africa, Australia and, you know, all those other countries you've traveled with in your career. Well, I think we're all we're all feeling it. Yeah, we we basically just had a gut full of of seeing politicians 
on the public purse, you know, mm-hmm. we're employing them to do a job and they're not holding themselves to the same standard that we expect in our own workplaces. They're not holding themselves to standards that we expect of the people around us, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leading into the last election, Scott Morrison said, you know, an independent anti-corruption watchdog, something I'll do. Three years later, later uh, you know, surprise, surprise, just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly not in the major parties' interest to actually investigate themselves. And, and, <laughs> and, and it was the limpest thing yeah. that he was going to bring in. But it's it's something that the majority of Australians want and it's it's kind of beyond time. And I think, you know, there's some really clear things that we can be doing to actually improve the way that our democracy works, starting with the anti-corruption watchdog, actually having some laws around truth in political advertising at the moment. And we see it every federal election. You can say whatever you want, as long as it's not libel. You can twist the truth. You can whatever. So can you give us and, an example of that? Can you give us because a lot of people often don't know when they're looking at this. I mean, death tax was one. Yeah, death tax. And you know, it, it's often it's often just you know stretching the truth, yep. and then really going going hard on that. And it's not good for democracy. Here in here in the ACT, we've got really strong laws against it and so around election time you're not seeing the same you know misinformation campaigns another thing talking to people in the community that they want to see cleaned up is political donations yep and transparency around that should clive palmer be allowed to drop 80 million every election to buy himself a couple of seats yeah we should be having those conversations actually deciding it doesn't seem that democratic to me but that's the way it is at the moment and you've seemed to have struck a chord there with your local community. Before we kind of go into, you know, the community you've got around you, I want to ask a few questions about Canberra. When do you think in your mind Canberra became home for you? I know you've been there a while, um, even in between your stints overseas. When did Canberra become home? Do you want to tell us all about that? Because my earliest memories of David Pocock is this rugby prodigy from Brisbane's uh, Bayside, and then all of a sudden you were the face the fresh new blood at the Western Force. Obviously, from there, you, you go global uh, with your football career. But at what point did Canberra become the place you wanted and you and your wife wanted to settle down? So I moved here in 2012 to join the Brumbies, the rugby team here. And, you know, having grown up on a farm, just fell in love with Canberra. Like, to me, it's the best of both worlds. You've got everything you need in a, in a city but in 20 minutes, you can be out down on the Murrumbidgee or out on, you know, someone's property helping with their sheep or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of the same issues with, you know, traffic and all that kind of stuff. And I guess, you know, you guys, you oh, guys would enjoy a bit of solitude and you can get a bit antsy in the big smoke mm-hmm. at times. Mm. A bit prickly. Uh, you know, I think from, from the start, it's not – having lived in Perth, you think of Canberra as – Canberra, roundabouts, politicians, the bubble, you know, where people fly in to do whatever politicians do. But when you actually live here, you realize that that's only a very tiny part of it. Mm -hmm. And there's, like everywhere, great communities, access to nature reserves, uh, you know, the whole bush capital thing I love. And so it's really felt like home for a while now. Where did that conservation and environmental activism come from? Are you from a family where that was a big kind of a thing or was it something that you developed over time as an adult? You know, growing up on a farm, I really loved wildlife. I guess in, in Zimbabwe, you know, most farms would have zebra, kudu, 
Pika, <laughs> like all these all these sort of antelope and, and stuff like that on it. So I was always interested in that as a kid. My grandfather and my dad were really into their birds. So I always enjoyed kind of learning different birds' names. And I guess it just grew from there. Having said that, my family was also really conservative. We grew up in a conservative farming community. And I kind of always, moving to Australia, didn't really understand how there was this big kind of thing where people were trying to wedge conservation against farming. Like a lot of the farmers I know care deeply about the land that they they are working. They want to see it healthier. But at the end of the day, they've got to make a living. Mm. And so you've got to be pragmatic, right? Mm. How do you actually weigh up those two things? And there's always compromise. And I've always kind of respected that and, and really think that we should be valuing and doing a lot more for farmers. And I think they play a huge role in actually, you know, looking, they look after half of Australia. So we should be valuing them more and making it making it easier for them to actually look after land and, and be getting, I mean, you're doing pretty well out of, uh, out of with the livestock prices at the moment. But, you know, generally farmers are, farmers are doing it pretty tough where you're kind of banking on the odd good season to get you through all the rough patches. The rough decades that follow, yeah. The conservation thing's been something since well in your footballing days. You know, you were handcuffing yourself to tractors. You were, you've been talking about this for a while and you've been talking about corruption for a while as well. I know that you're just about, you know, as someone on the living in the ACT, you get a, a front row seat to a lot of it. And you watch the Waratahs consistently get picked in the Wallabies mm. ahead of other... Also, yeah, corruption. Absolute corruption. corruption. But I want to ask, what else are we running on here? I mean, I know those two things are enough for a lot of people to vote for you. Corruption and conservation and environmentalism, climate yeah. action. What else are we talking about here? Well, I mean, the great thing as an independent is that I've got no party line to toe. I'm not... Yeah. I'm not being handed some, you know, sheet of paper that's saying this is what we're taking to the election. Yep. I've spent the last few months talking to hundreds. I mean, our, our volunteers have called a few thousand Canberrans to talk about what's important to them. And the big things, unsurprisingly, are actually housing affordability, actually taking on the cost of living yep. challenge. You know, a lot of issues that politicians love to kind of say, yeah, we're dealing with it, but they just chuck it in the, the too hard basket or they just kick it down the road for the next government. Yep. And yeah, I think you know th- that has been a lot of the conversations is how how do we actually deal with housing affordability? What are some of the solutions? What what can the government do there? Um, another thing here in Canberra that's important to people is territory rights. We currently, as a territory, can't actually debate and make laws on things like voluntary assisted dying or euthanasia. Right. The Commonwealth can just overrule us. If there's a referendum is, is held... That, is that why gay marriage was legal there for a week? Before? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah, the Commonwealth can just come in and say nah, none of that. If there's a referendum held to, you know, next year, a national referendum, Territorians' votes count as half. You know, you're 0.5 a, a vote. And a lot of Canberrans are saying, you know, we understand when, when Canberra was first set up it was just this tiny little place that politicians came but now we're actually a a city and we want to be able to look after ourselves i've really enjoyed talking to people in canberra like there's a there's a host of issues that people are passionate about and some that really affect the future of canberra like another one is is more funding and like more certain funding for tradies tradies are going to play a huge part as 
we have to kind of rewire our cities to deal with renewables and sort of switching from gas heaters to more efficient heat pumps, all these sorts of things. We're going to need a lot more tradies with different skills. And currently there's just not the, the vision and investment that's needed to deal with these challenges. It sounds like you're getting real local, which is um, a bit different to some of the other independent campaigns we've seen. We've, we spoke to um, Allegra Spender on the Decode podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she was very much kind of had a counterpoint for every issue that the major parties are talking about, you know, probably because she represents an electorate that is is traditionally, you know, a blue ribbon seat. You seem to go really hyper-local here. What were the numbers we were seeing in terms of vol- how many people you got working the streets for? It sounds like it's been picked up by a lot of people in, in the ACT. It sounds like you've got quite a strong following. I'm not sure what your slogan is just yet. Vote for Poey. Yeah, I've been blown away by, by the support. You know, the way the Senate voting works, it's the big piece of paper, right? And there's the line and you've got your candidates above the line, which is your parties. And then below the line, like if you're in Queensland, you can have, I don't know, 50, 60 people. It's that massive mm-hmm. sheet of paper. And so it used to be that above the line, you could just put a one in whatever party you wanted to vote for, and that was it. And you'd have these preference whispers that would do all these deals between the parties, and that's how the preferences would flow, which meant that you had Ricky Muir from the Motoring Enthusiast Party, who actually turned out to be a pretty decent senator, yeah, win a seat <laughs> on, on a couple thousand, or what, I don't forget what it was, a couple thousand primary votes. Mm-hmm. Under Malcolm Turnbull, they did away with that, and they said, actually, people need to put their own preferences. So above the line, you're voting 1 to 6. Mm-hmm. Below the line, you're voting 1 to 12. Almost 80% of people vote above the line. Yep. So to have a chance, you have to be above the line. So we had to form a party to do that. And to form a party in Australia, you need 1,500 members. And I was kind of thinking, I've never been part of a, a political party. It seems like a pretty big step to join one. Um, I don't know many people who are part of a political party. So in December, when I announced, it kind of went up. And within two days, we had 3,000 members okay. of this political party to get above the line. So it, I've been blown away by the support. You know, I think we're heading towards 1,000 volunteers here in Canberra. And that's what you have to have. You're coming up against the big party machinery. They're a well-oiled election machine mm-hmm. um, with some serious resources. So we're going to have to rely on people and you know volunteers getting out there, talking to people, putting up signs in their yards, letterboxing, kind of a, a, a lot more sort of grassroots democracy approach. Do you get that sense from the people that they're kind of appreciating that this might be an opportunity for someone to represent them at a really local level rather than just being Labor or Liberal and kind of just occupying one of those Senate seats? That Yeah, this is an opportunity for this local guy here to really advocate for us. A lot of people that have volunteered, there's people from both sides of politics, people who've voted for the Greens their whole life, other people who've voted for the Libs their whole life who just feel like this constant politicization of issues isn't working for us. There is and there has to be a more centrist way of actually dealing with the big issues and just getting on with not only dealing with the issues of today to kind of make our lives better, but looking ahead. The government should be looking ahead saying, okay, what are the big issues that are coming? How do we turn these into opportunities before they become these huge problems that we, we're struggling to deal with? And my sense is that people want that to happen. On the other side here in Canberra, 
all of the seats have been safe for decades. Mm. Like Labor wins the lower house in the Senate. There's one Labor, one Liberal, and that's been the way I think since 1975. And what we've seen with the government over the last decade is that if you want any infrastructure funding or if you want any love from the government, you've got to be a marginal seat. Mm-hmm. Here in Canberra, we currently, we've got one of the most successful women's basketball teams in the country. They don't have a stadium to play in. Yep. There's not an arena that can hold them. We don't have a stadium that can actually hold a World Cup game or you know a convention center that can have a, a major event. And we're kind of taken for granted here. And I think there's a lot of Canberrans waking up to that and saying, let's make Canberra count again. Let's actually have someone in there who's accountable to us, who's pushing the issues that are important to us. And as a territory, we've led on, you know, a bunch of national issues, but just haven't had two senators who actually go into bat for us. The senator I'm coming up against, it's a soldier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, he, he's been arguing against territory rights. Yeah, right. Saying, no, the territory shouldn't be able to make these decisions. It doesn't align with actually representing the people, people in the here street. In yeah, mm. hopefully we can change that. He's actually playing a bit dirty. He must be getting nervous, old Ned. Yeah, he said David Pocock brings a radical green style of politics to the Senate and he's perhaps best known politically for being arrested after his Extinction Rebellion style stunt of chaining himself to a bulldozer. You reckon he's going to be throwing that around for the next couple of months? Yeah, that's his line. He's been he's been rolling it out whenever he can. <laughs> this is a big part of my concern is that we've got these politicians who are still stuck in the 2000s where they're talking about climate action being a cost. Mm-hmm. It's a massive opportunity. Like if yeah. you're a tradie, you should be pushing for as much climate action as you, as you can mm-hmm. because this means like more jobs mm-hmm. well into the future. More jobs, more um, roofs, more whatever. It's good for all of us. He keeps bringing up this... Um, arrest up at Moores Creek. I mean, that was with a fifth generation farmer, head of the local fire, you know, rural fire service, salt of the earth, Rick Laird. I remember the pictures of him. He's not exactly a uh, dyed haired greenie. Yeah. yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a hippie. Um, <laughs> no bongo drums. And, and I, you know, I think this is, this is where the government is just actually so out of touch mm-hmm. to be, Pushing coal mines, you know, on the Liverpool Plains, on our best farming areas, is crazy when you look at the future of coal and all of our, all of the places that we send coal, Mm. all committing to actually phasing it out. What are we doing this for? You've got to ask that question. And then I think when you look at political donations, you probably get the answer. You're quite a disruptor, David. That's what looks like happening here. You change yourself to um, a bit of machinery in an Extinction Rebellion-style protest uh, back in the day with all those hippie farmers. You <laughs> played football all those years for all those you know left-wing rugby union franchises, mm. and now you are running as an independent, as a senator for the ACT, against a couple of people who have pretty safe jobs. Would have you, that been like the cruisiest ever kind of re-election campaign for old mate... Zed, if you hadn't thrown your hand up, do you reckon the status quo would have remained? Well, in the past, he's never acknowledged an independent who's stood. He doesn't turn up to forums and debates. He's very happy just to kind of cruise home. So at, at the last election, he didn't make quota. And then on the 25th redistribution of preferences, he got his quota. So, you know, seems pretty happy just to cruise in there. There's a lot of Canberrans who clearly want better they want someone who's actually going to bring some work ethic get out there represent them on the issues 
and I really don't like politics that gets that gets personal, the mudslinging, the personal attacks. Mm. The thing I want to talk about is track record. Like judge us on our track record. Mm-hmm. I've been working on these issues that are important to Canberrans. I've been trying to push for change. Senator Seljus been in there for nine years. I don't know what he's done for Canberra. We're not getting our fair share of federal funding. And he is part of the government. You know, he's a government minister. Yeah, he's got to stand by that. That's that's what I'm saying in this uh, in this campaign. Sounds like the only thing he supports. I mean, he opposes assisted suicide. He opposed gay marriage. He opposes just about everything you're talking about. But he does support cutting penalty rates, which I'm sure will help uh, housing affordability and the cost of living in the. Uh, Greater ACT region. Cutting penalty rates would go down well with all of those public servants in yeah, the capital yeah. as well. They'd I love mean, that. It doesn't sound like this guy's quite as intimidating as opposition as, say, Richie McCaw. <laughs> I mean, he's you know he's he's been around for a while. He was leader of the opposition for a number of years here in, in the ACT and then got a promotion to senator, I guess. I just wanted to ask, trying not to get too personal, but have you met Zed Cecilia in person? Because he seems to be, he's happily, he's trotting out the lines and he's doing the personal attacks in the media, obviously to reporters. They might just be texts, they might be saying it in person. But in person, when he's coming face-to-face with a back rower from the Wallabies, a former back rower from the Wallabies, is he still maintaining that demeanour or is he a bit kind of friendlier, just chit-chattier? No, I've chatted to him many times over the years. He was always down at Brumby's season launches and, you know, he spends a lot of time in the chairman's lounge or the corporate boxes at the Brumby's. Um, yeah. Can imagine. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, this is, this is the thing, right? I, I, I've got no issue with him personally, but mm. politics is a contest of ideas. Like who's got the best ideas? Who do people think is actually going to get in there and work hard for them? And, you know, that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like... I proved myself in professional rugby with a with a work ethic, a willingness to learn, and I'm wanting to actually do that representing Canberra and you know a place that I love and I I think should be getting a lot more love from politicians than it currently is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's particularly the politicians that actually use your town as their little playground while they pass legislation, it would be worth Canberra getting a look in within that institution that you all kind of work tirelessly to carry on your backs down there. Yeah, we put up with a lot down here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to ask just quickly, what has your life looked like since the pandemic, since you wrapped up football? I mean, you just said then, oh, you've proven yourself on the football paddock. Yeah, yeah, that's a given. But you've also done a lot of your kind of uh, community work over the years and all your conservation work, and you took a sabbatical. You've lived all around the world. And you've done actually quite a lot of things, which is, you know, people don't get to say that about many ex-footballers. You've done quite a lot with yourself in your lifetime. What have you been doing since, like, you know, just before all this, you know, the pandemic, you're at home in the pandemic. You announced this in December, which is obviously this, it's all hands on deck for the independent senator launch and campaign that follows and potential election. What was your plan otherwise as an ex-footballer? You know, I was one of those athletes who was studying part-time for far too long and was, you know, running the risk of getting kicked out of their degree because they'd been doing it for 10 years. So after I retired, I finished off um, a master's in sustainable agriculture. Mm-hmm. So obviously an area that I'm interested in and, and then kind of applied a lot of that to the agriculture and conservation project we were doing in Zimbabwe, which I, re- I really enjoyed. We were kind of working with commercial farmers and small-scale 
farmers and trying to connect the small scale farmers to markets, kind of working working on the value chain. But yeah, I, I did take time off in, in 2017 to kind of explore some some other stuff. I did some conservation work. Um, I did a leadership course at Harvard Business School. So have have been really interested in things outside of rugby and really feel like I can bring that different perspective to politics. You know, we, we all are saying that we want to see politics done differently. And I think that means actually getting different people to do it. You know, at the moment, uh, so like look at the Australian workforce. I think it's what less than 1% of the workforce are lawyers, mm-hmm. but 20% of MPs in the last parliament were lawyers. 40% of parliamentarians, you know, were former staffers or representatives at uh, like a territory or state level, 15% are from the trade unions. So, you know, if, if those are the qualifications that you have to have for politics, then, you know, I don't have them. And, and frankly, I don't, I don't want them. I feel like we need different voices in there who are actually representing their community, bringing a different lens to things and ensuring that the laws that are passed through there actually reflect, one, what people want, and two, is this going to make Australia a better place to live? Well, you heard it here first. He's, uh, he's got quite a pitch there, mm. David Pocock. And throughout this interview, David, I do think we heard your slogan, make Canberra count again. Is that what we're thinking? <laughs> make- yeah, I've been talking, talking a lot about making Canberra count when you do come to Canberra. You know, I think you'll see there's a lot more to it than just the, the bubble that everyone speaks about. There's a yeah. really thriving city and, and, and a great community here. And people want to be taken seriously. People are sick of hearing about, you know, the size of the public service, whether it should be bigger or smaller, I think we should be talking about the quality of the public service. We've seen through COVID just how important good advice is. We want our public servants to be frank and fearless and for their jobs not to be politicised by the government. And that's something I'm hearing hearing around town and I, I want to really try and change the, the conversation around that. And Mooseheads needs uh, some sort of a stimulus package. they we need to get a grant for mooseheads uh, for a mechanical bull, maybe in the beer garden. What do you think? There's, there's a lot that needs to happen to get Canberra working out of this pandemic, you know. And 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 as you said before, I guess renewable is actually something that Canberra can touch and feel. The landscape surrounding you is hot, and it's windy. Yeah, it's all there to do. I mean, if a mechanical bull would get you guys to set up an office in Canberra, maybe we could. <laughs> We'll get, get it across the line. We'll get that bureau one day, mate, in the press gallery. Don't worry. They'll let us in one day. But uh, thank you for joining us today, David. It's It's been a, an enlightening chat we've had here today, and I was not aware how local this, this campaign was and how Canberra-centric David Pocock for the Australian Federal Upper House would be. I'm sure Zed's got a bit to worry about. I'm sure everyone else down there that uh, is kind of, you know, I guess trying to keep the status quo as it is, would be a little bit nervous, a little bit jumpy right now. I hope so. You know, I, I think people want a more sensible way forward and um, hopefully I can provide that. I've really enjoyed getting out there and, and talking to Canberrans and we'll ramp that up as we go into the election, whenever it's called. But, you know, it obviously looks like both parties are pretty much into campaign mode and there's a, a lot of money that's going to be spent over the next couple of months. So it should be an interesting time. Or at least promised. There'll be a lot of money promised over the next couple of months. <laughs> always, always promised, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, David, and uh, make Canberra count again. Thanks, Clancy. We thanks, really David. enjoyed that. Cheers.